The X-Zone radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the X-Zone radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. All Hit Radio Welcome to the X-Zone A place where fact is fiction And fiction is reality Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell And welcome to the X-Zone, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. And for the next, oh, geez, with some of our networks for the next four hours, other networks for the next eight hours, I'm going to be your host and your guide as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the X-Zone. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And the X-Zone comes to you Monday through Friday, right here from our studios in beautiful Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, and through our networks, including Talkstar Radio Network, Exxon Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, Star Cable, and our growing family of independent and broadcasters right across Canada, the United States, Central America, the Caribbean, South America, the Pacific Rim, Asia, India, Africa, and Europe. Worldwide toll-free, 1-800-610-7035. My email address is xzone at xzoneradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, xzoneradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www.xzoneradiotv.com. And don't forget, you can watch, listen, and take part by going to our live channel feed at www.xzbn.com. Dot net forward slash live dot htm. My guest this hour is Kimberly Ruff, and uh, Kimberly is the messenger of the Hopi and Tibetan prophecy. Now, Kimberly is not a Hopi prophecy carrier nor a Tibetan prophecy carrier. She's been asked by the Hopi and the Tibetan to share this message, this hopeful message to the world. Kimberly is one quarter Cherokee by a, by Ethans, oh, I hate this word. Uh, <laughs> all right, you say it, come on. Ethnicity. Thank you very much. <laughs> she has been adopted into the Hopi family of Grandfather Martin Gashiwoshima, who, who is the keeper of the sacred tablets of the Fire Clan. She has written many postings about the Hopi Tibetan prophecy on the Ground Crew website, and she's also written a chapter in a number one bestseller, Transforming through 2012. Her website, www.thegroundcrew.com. And joining me now is 
Kimberly Ruffin. Kimberly, welcome to the X Zone. Hi, it's nice to talk to you. Um, you know, for our, for our listeners who may be listening for the first time from around the world, what exactly is the Hopi Tibetan prophecy? Well, I will jump right in. But also, I thought you did a great disclaimer because it's really, really important that I always begin. Well, first, I want to say thank you for having me on your show, because I had promised Grandfather Martin that I would just go for it in Mm -hmm. 2012, and, you know, I am. I mean, so many wonderful things are happening. It's only March. So, um, yes, I just wanted to say this is is part of what he's asked me to do. So thank you. It's nice to meet you. And then to explain the Hopi Tibetan prophecy, um, I always make it really, really clear, disclaimer, disclaimer, that first of all, I'm not a carrier. Mm -hmm. To be a carrier is um, to be a carrier of the Tibetan prophecy, you have to be um, specifically a reincarnation of one of the Tibetans that, uh, in, how can I say this? Uh, there is a prophecy, the Hopi, I'll start from this, the Hopi have a prophecy that says, it begins, when the Iron Eagle flies and the horses run on wheels, and then it goes on and on, and this mm-hmm. prophecy takes eight to nine days to tell, and it's Quite, wow. quite beautiful, and it's specifically Hopi. All right, what we're going to do is we're going to take a two-minute commercial break here, and when we come back, let's talk about this prophecy, because there are many okay. people around the world mm-hmm. who are not familiar with this, and I believe it's a very important part of learning that we share information, we respect each other's cultures, each other's beliefs, and by doing this, we will grow as one, as we should. Kimberly Ruff is our special guest, Exxon Nation, www.thegroundcrew.com. That's www.thegroundcrew.com. My name's Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon, and I'll be back on the other side of this two-minute commercial break as we continue from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Welcome back, everyone. Kimberly Ruff is our special guest to this hour, www.thegroundcrew.com. And we're going to be talking this hour about the Hopi Tibetan prophecy. And uh, before we went to the commercial break, we had just started talking about the prophecies. And I was wondering if we, we could continue on because, they're, like, I, like I was telling you during the break and as we were going into it, we need to understand each other. We live on this little planet in the middle of the universe, 
And if we could only get our acts together, and I think the biggest problem with people is the lack of understanding, and a lack of understanding breeds a lack of respect. Yeah, I agree. So, I totally agree. So let me explain to you this beautiful, beautiful thing. Okay. Um, there are three separate distinct prophecies. The Hopi have a prophecy that takes eight to nine days to tell, and it goes back for a very, very, very long time. And up until recently, it's been oral. It's just been something that's been passed along. The white men, it was never written. No one outside of Hopi even heard of it. About 50 years ago, um, certain elders from Hotevilla began speaking about it. But this prophecy begins when the Iron Eagle flies and the horses run on wheels. And then it goes on to explain all of these you know, things mm-hmm. very, very, very specifically that are supposed to happen. You can uh, look up the Hopi prophecy itself on the internet. It talks about these signs and, you know, this uh, three world wars. And there's a famous prophecy rock that talks about the two paths, you know, the one of the one heart where it ends all wonderful and then the path of the two heart with the big nuclear explosion. But only really truly a Hopi uh, carrier should really tell that story, and that's not me. Then there's this other prophecy, that's the Tibetan prophecy, and Padme Sambhava was the second Buddha, and he gave many, many predictions. He, uh, the Hopi have that one long prophecy, mm-hmm. the Tibetans have many, many short prophecies. So in the uh, 8th century, which is actually sort of recent, Padme Sambhava said a uh, uh, prediction that began when the Iron Eagle flies and the horses run on wheels, and I actually can read specifically what it says because I, I got it. It's like one stanza from Lama Lonang Rinpoche. Right. Uh, and also, the only people that can be Hopi prophecy carriers or people are Hopi, only people that can be Tibetan prophecy carriers are people that are either a reincarnation of Padmasambhava or a reincarnation of one of Padmasambhava's 25 disciples that were there when he said this. And Believe it or not, they are here, and this Lama Lenang Rinpoche is one of them. And it says, when well, Iron Eagle flies, the horses run on wheels, uh, East will meet West, Red people will meet Red people, and at my time, the teachings will benefit the world. So there's these two separate prophecies that mirror each other. Well, then, there's this third and distinct prophecy called the Hopi Tibet Prophecy, which is created out of the place where these two meet. And this prophecy began in the year 1974. It was activated when His Holiness, the 16th Karmapa, uh, came to Hopi from Tibet. That in 1959, I don't know if you're aware, um, the Chinese army invaded Tibet and pretty much ran the Dalai Lama and everyone out of the country. And this was a terrible, terrible thing. But in a way, it was a wonderful, wonderful thing because it forced these amazing people that knew amazingness from like a thousand years of peace that uh, they had learned. It brought, it forced them out into the world, and so their prophecy says that their teachings will be brought to the land of the red man. And very specifically, the Tibetan oracle, who is sort of the person who, you know tells the, the Tibetans what to do, right. where to go, etc. He said, go to Hopi. And so in 1974, the um, 16th Kamapa came to Hopi and made it rain, and that was the beginning of the Hopi-Tibetan connection. Hmm. 
uh, I've been told that the second activation was the birth of my son. Sounds a little wacky. took me a very long time to come to terms with this. But in 2001, uh, Tibetan Lamas came to see me here in Santa Barbara and said, um, we believe that your son is a reincarnation of a Tibetan Lama. I didn't know what they were talking about. I didn't even know what that was. Now, now, now did it. they just appear one day on your doorstep without any forewarning? It's kind of like that, but not exactly. Okay. Have you seen the movie Little Buddha, where they um, yes. go yes, looking did, yeah. for yeah. their people that have passed? You know, mm-hmm. It's a tradition. In Tibet, uh, when a Lama or Rinpoche passes, they send out a search party. It's just how it's always been done. Since 1959 the Chukwu Lamas are not being born in Tibet because they can choose where they're being born. They're being born all over the world, and a lot of them are being born in the West. I hadn't heard of any of this. I had never seen Little Buddha, mm-hmm. but um, there's, now, there's a book called Reborn in the West, and so these Tibetan Lamas began getting born in the West, and these people came to me and said, we think your little four-year-old son is a reincarnation of one of our Lamas. Well, he seemed to think so, too. He, like, when they, what happened was I got a phone call saying that these llamas were coming, you know, downtown to do a mandala, and would I go down there and bring my son. Well, it turned out that one of the llamas that was with that first group had been two years old in 1959, and it crossed with the, the bunch that left, like 100,000 left in 1959, I think it was March 17th, with His Holiness the Dalai Lama's group. And one of the Lamas in that first group had been with that group, and apparently my son had been an old Lama and had died on that trip. Hmm. So they came looking for him. That was in August of 2001. Another group came in September of 2001, right around, of course, you know, 9-11. Mm-hmm. Another group came after that. All these Lamas started coming. And <clears throat> I didn't know what to make of it, except that my son seemed to remember their dances, he knew what they were saying. He could read Tibetan. Um, I mean, it was a very, 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 very shocking time. But over the years, not only have I come to believe it, but I feel so incredibly blessed and lucky to have this this being living with me. I mean, in all of the years now, he's 15. He mm-hmm. he has never said an unkind word. He is. It's like having one of these amazing Rinpoche teachers, like in my home. I mean, it's just been amazing. So anyway, what happened then was the um, all these llamas came, and then in December 2001, uh, Venerable Baka I was asked to bring my son to meet with him. And not just any llama can say, oh, this is a reincarnation. Ultimately, it has to be the Dalai Lama. But the way this sort of goes is certain kinds of high Rinpoches can sort of sponsor a child. If they think this is a person, then they sponsor his child and bring it to his holiness. And so Venerable Baka took Rinpoche, believed that my son was his tuku, and then he gave us this rock with ancient Tibetan writing on it. And I didn't know what it said. Um, turned out it said, Om Mani Padmi Hum, which, um, long story short, in those six syllables, it carries the compassionate teachings of the Buddha's 84,000 teachings. Well, none of this made any sense to me. Then, in 
January of 2002, next month, mm -hmm. this woman came to me and representing the Hopi Indians didn't know where Hopi was either. I mean, so, I was just a psychotherapist. I had two children. I was, you know, had cats. I mean, I had, I did not go looking for any of this. I, it, it was, it just had one after another crazy thing happened. She said, did the Tibetans give you a rock to, you know, with ancient writing? I said, you know, they did. She said, may we see this rock? And then she looked at it. She said, will you bring this to, with me to Hopi? And at the time, I hadn't even been there. I'd never even left my children overnight. But so I did go with her, and this is how I met Grandfather Martin Gotchri Sioma. And so we traveled to Hopi with this rock, and the amazing thing was he was waiting for us. And what shocked me more than anything was I knew him. I'm a Cherokee by ethnicity, mm -hmm. and I have inherited the what they call the lineage of the Cherokee Dreamwalker. Every single morning of my entire life, I have dreams. And since the birth of you know, children, I've, they come with songs. So I've known this man forever. He's the one that told me, you know, to give my older son the middle name Lakota, which I didn't even know what it meant. So I meet this man, and this was the beginning of the second activation of the Hopi Tibet prophecy. Um, it's important for me to explain that there is, Grandfather Martin is the keeper of the sacred tablets of the Fire Clan. There's this whole Hopi prophecy that talks about this tablet with a missing piece. And people have asked me, do you believe this rock that was given to you is that missing piece? I always want to express the answer is no. It doesn't even look like it. I believe, however, and have been told, it is symbolic of that piece that is missing. Because the uh, whole point of the Hopi Tibet prophecy is to bring the loving kindness back to the Hopi nation. Because the Hopi believe that they are the center of the universe. They really do. And that what happens at Hopi affects the world affects the universe. And in the last hundred years or so, there's been a lot of infighting about whatever. And so I was told that what they have lost, that they used to have, was the loving kindness, the compassion. And so to bring this, this rock and these teachings is exactly what um, is supposed to happen. So that is the Hopi-Tibet prophecy. The thing that's so important about 2012, because... The Hopi don't make a big deal out of 2012. The Tibetans don't make a big deal out of 2012. The Hopi Tibet prophecy does. The whole point of the Hopi Tibet prophecy is the day after. All right, let's it, I'll do a little bit of a cliffhanger here because I have to take my news break. Exonation, <laughs> my, <laughs> my uh, guest this hour is Kimberly Ruff, www.thegroundcrew.com. Dot com. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as the Exxon continues. We're right here from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. More about the Hopi Tibetan prophecy after this commercial break with the news. Don't go away. My name is Michael Telstar, Canada's leading mentalist from Toronto, Ontario. 
Hi, my name is Splenza, and you're listening to my dad, Rob McConnell, on the XM. This is Psychic Dorothy from St. Catharines, and you're listening to Rob McConnell. Hello, my name is Holly Reeves, an astrologer from astro for You, and you're listening to Canada's number one paranormal radio show, The X-Zone, with Rob McConnell. Welcome to The X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome back, everyone. My guest to this hour in the X-Zone is Kimberly Ruff. We're talking about the Hopi Tibetan prophecies, and her website is www.thegroundcrew.com. And uh, Kimberly, thanks very much for joining us. It's uh, certainly a pleasure talking to you, and this is a fascinating story. So if you could please continue. Of course. Yes, I was just saying in the break, um, I don't really ever get tired of telling this story, but I think, well, who wants to hear it over and over? But more things keep happening. Every radio show mm-hmm. I do, there's some new wonderful thing to share, which hopefully I'll get a chance to talk about. But where we left off was yeah. the point of the Hopi Tibet prophecy. There's all these, you know, cultures, Mayan, and mm-hmm. well, just kind of like most of them, are saying that something is happening December 21st, 2012. The Hopi Tibet prophecy begins December 22nd, 2012. It is what they call the time of never-ending peace. Mm -hmm. And this is why I've been asked to go and take this to the world, because there's so much fear about what in the world is happening. And, you know, to be honest, Rob, I thought more people were going to be out there, like me, telling, you know, this wonderfulness, but uh, they're not. So that's why they asked me, Please go out there and get this story out there to reassure the people that this is a wonderful, wonderful time to be on this planet and that we, they believe, all signed up mm-hmm. a long time ago to meet up at this time in history and do this. And it could have gone either way, because like on the Hopi uh, Prophecy Rock, I don't know if you're familiar with, they have the one path where, you know, it's the one hard and it works out all well. And the other path, which is the path of two heart, where it ends in nuclear destruction. Yes. Well, I have been reassured that we, 
in the last 10 years have passed into the uh, time of the one heart, the time of the fifth world, that even Tom, Grandfather Thomas Banyaka that found that prophecy rock, he died, I think in 1999, not knowing how it was all going to go, how it's going to end. In fact, if you see these little videos on YouTube, mm-hmm. he doesn't sound good. He's like, I don't think we're going to make it. Um, since then, with all of the ceremonies and the rituals that the people have done with the invention of the Internet, we have turned a corner and literally, literally saved our civilization. Let me, ask you, a, let me ask you this. If, sure. if the prophecy is known, how can mm-hmm. they not know which way it's going to go? Is, doesn't that defeat the, the entire purpose of a prophecy? Oh, it's a fascinating prophecy. Um, when this, you know, prophecy, Hopi prophecy was mm-hmm. created and it was drawn, it shows, if you see this picture, two lines. It could have gone either way. It was up to us. It could have ended either way. It was up to the people. That's what, to me, is so amazingly interesting. The ending wasn't written. It was written with two endings. And so... Uh, then, then how can a the, prophecy have two endings when a prophecy, and uh, as far as I know and my understanding of a prophecy is that it tells you the end result. So how can a well, prophecy have two results? Kind of prophecy. <laughs> it's not the Hopi Tibetan prophecy. That's what I love about this. Mm-hmm. It gave two options, and it was up to us which we picked. And here's what I find extremely, extremely interesting. I have been told some amazing things over the time. I have been told that this is an experiment on our planet that has been tried other times throughout the universe and failed. We are the first planet to have pulled this off, and that all the universe is watching and smiling. I know how crazy that sounds, but I've been asked to tell that to the world, that we have pulled off what has never been pulled off before. All the other times, it's ended in, you know, whatever kind of destruction. Well, okay, now let me ask ask you this now. When we look at the book of Revelations... And it tells of doom, gloom, destruction of the earth. Only 144,000 people are saved. That's mm-hmm. totally different than the Hopi prophecy and the Tibetan prophecy. So which prophecy well, I, is right? Which prophecy is wrong? Well, you know, I would never, ever, ever take on that question. Because what do I know? It is just my job mm-hmm. to pass along what I have been told uh, is happening, and I believe what is happening, and I believe it because, um, well, for one thing, I've been dreaming about it my whole life. Second, the signs that they have talked about have all come true. Um, but I would never, ever be so rude mm-hmm. as to uh, insult or argue with someone else's point of view. They can go on your show and talk about Sure, but n- no, no, no disrespect meant here, but it's uh-huh. well known that any prophecy can be fit into any time of of history uh-huh. to make that prophecy come true or validate it. Well, see, that's what's so wonderful about this one, Rob. We have written the uh, good ending. We together have written the ending where we prevail. That's what's so beautiful about this, is that um, there's a hope, the main Hopi prophecy mm-hmm. rock, and then there's something that's lesser known called the second Hopi prophecy rock, and it's a drawing of a satellite. And I was told by, you know, Grandfather Martin that this was an instrument that was going to make it possible to speak all over the world at the same time, and the world would literally become one, 
and be able to pull this off. And I, I don't mean like in a New World Order way. I mean the Internet. And that with this tool, um, the people, the goodness of the people would then, with this tool, create a world where we're going to get through this. Right, but, and, we, but you know, putting the Internet aside, we could say the same thing true of satellite communication, microwave communication, uh, transatlantic cable. We can also say yeah. it about Morse code. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's all part of it. That when these prophecies were written, mm-hmm. um, they described these things before they ever came into being. So they, they knew that a time would come when we, human, humanity would have potential to destroy itself or to save itself. And in the last 10 years, something has happened, or according to the Hobie Tibet prophecy, um, we have chosen to pull this off. And um, I have been told some of the amazing um, reasons why they believe that we have chosen this. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the crazy, wacky reasons I was told is that in the last 10 or 15 or so years, maybe 20 at the outset, these children that have been coming to our planet are old souls, and they have raised the vibration of this earth and created a compassion grid. So it is our job to just keep their planet not blowing itself up until 2000, December 21st, 2012. And then these children come of age. This is when they become 18 or whatever. They're going to take it from here on out, and they're a different kind of people. Rob, I have two teenager boys. I know these children. I have one that's this tuku. They're different. They are bringing something to this earth that um, we have not seen before. What's that? What are the, what are they bringing that that children that who were born before haven't brought? They're bringing the com- the union of wisdom and compassion, like I have never seen. But isn't it isn't is, that isn't that because we as parents have instilled this into them that it has nothing yes, to do with yes, because, we with uh, star thing, seeds or star children? Yes. Like, there were scouts that came earlier and started to raise these children, but they've also come with a more sort of evolved vibration. I mean, these children, um, like, like for example, my mm-hmm. son on his Facebook, he says, life is a beach and I'm just playing in the sand. That is kind of the attitude of these children that are taking over. They... Um, they're, they think it's like a big party, and that is what is saving us. I would also like to save a little bit of time to talk about the um, sure, lost I, cave of Grand okay, Canyon. Okay, once again, yeah. let me let me let me just ask you a question here. Sure, sure, sure. Why are we giving the children of today the credit for saving the world when it's the peacekeepers, it's the politicians, it's those with the experience who who are actually doing the work? So why are we saying thank you to the children who? up until this time, have done nothing. Well, because they haven't really done nothing. They have brought this joy that has inspired the people in charge now to want to save the world rather than Wait a second, wait a second. Hold on, hold on here. 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 Hold on Hold on here. Hold on here. Whoa. Pull in the reins for a second. I don't agree with you. Well, I, you're giving too much credit, in my opinion, to kids who have done absolutely nothing to this point, and you're neglecting the hard work, the dedication, and the sacrifice that so many other people have made to bring them to this point so that they can have the the ability to think that they're star children, star seeds, and that 
the different the different uh, philosophies that the new age genre are bringing to the table at this time. A lot of people have have dedicated their lives. A lot of people have lost their lives to to bring us to where we are today. These kids are coming in and we're giving them the credit for nothing that they've done? But Rob, what if these people that have busted their butts mm-hmm. were scouts from the same place? What if this started 50, 60 years ago where they began trickling in? They just started flooding in more recently once it became clear that this could happen. This is what I have been told. Mm-hmm. People like me, people like you, we came a while ago. And we're the ones that began setting this in motion because it could have gone either way. I completely agree with what you're saying. What I'm saying is some of these people that have done so much work, they're the same as these children. They just came a little bit sooner. I mean, it might sound wacky, but I believe that it's true, that there is a new breed of people that have been here that um, don't want to blow up the planet. I mean, it's well, I, I, don't th- I don't think anybody on this planet wants to blow up the planet. I, I really don't, you know, like during the during the Cuban Missile Crisis when you had Khrushchev versus Kennedy, that uh-huh. button was very close to being pushed, but cool yes. heads prevailed. Yes, you know, and 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 and, I, and and no disrespect, but I don't believe it had anything to do with Hopi prophecy, Tibetan prophecy, the Vatican, or or even Star Children. I believe it was the men at the time. With the experience, but if it was the compassion in the hearts of those men that wanted to save our planet. That's all the Hopi prophecy is. The the rock said mm-hmm. "Oh my Padme hung," which means compassion. Yeah. it's not even you know the whole prophecy thing. It's just really a symbol. It's really truly there's something about this nature of compassion that brings out the very very best in people. So I think we're saying the same thing. Yeah. You know, you can find that that terminology in any religious philosophy on this planet, past, present, yes. and, and future. You know, in the Bible it says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's why I would never yeah. say anything about their prophecy, because I'm quite sure they have wonderful things to say in theirs also. Um, before we have time, do you mind if I speak about the um, lost cave of the Grand Canyon a little no, bit? No, you've got about two minutes. Okay. Um, there were some other things that... Um, talked about this whole Hopi Tibet prophecy. Mm -hmm. And one of them was, I was contacted by this man who, I guess, I mean, I have to pick up after the commercial, but um, in 1909, the Smithsonian uh, set out to find this legendary, rumored, lost cave of the Grand Canyon. Mm -hmm. Supposedly, there is a cave under, like, in the Grand Canyon that they found all sort of artifacts that had, um, like maybe perhaps Anasazi, whatever. But the thing that was so mind-boggling, Rob, is that, do you know what they also found in this cave? Egyptian they artifacts. Found, but they, yes, they also yeah. found a statue of a Buddha. Yeah. They also found yeah. Egyptian artifacts. They found artifacts yeah. from all around the world. Once yeah. again, when we look at what we are discovering now, we know for a fact that the Phoenicians had traversed the Atlantic Ocean many a times and were trading with the Indians on the Great Lakes. This is nothing new. The biggest lies in the world are perpetrated by history. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, Christopher Columbus did not discover America. The uh, The Irish monks were here 500 years before Columbus. Prior to that, you had the Vikings. Mm-hmm. But because 
people don't want to wear egg on their face, it's it's easier for some people to keep the lie going rather than say, hey, you know what? We screwed up. Mm-hmm. Columbus didn't discover North America. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not going to argue on that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, stand by. You and I have to take our commercial break, our final break for this hour. When we come back, we'll finish the story about the cave. My name's Rob McConnell. Kimberly Ruff is our special guest, www.thegroundcrew.com. And uh, we'll both be back on the other side of this break as the Exxon continues with yours truly, Rob McConnell, from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't forget, you can now watch and listen live at www.xzbn.net forward slash live htm. Explanation, uh, Kimberly Ruff is my guest this hour, www.thegroundcrew.com. First of all, Kimberly, thank you very much for joining us tonight. It's been a great pleasure talking to you. And um, tell me, uh, how old is your son now? You know, he was four years old. Fifteen and a half. Yeah, they came when he was four years Mm -hmm. old uh, in 2001. And from other, um, you know, Tibetan lamas I have met who uh, are supposedly reincarnations, they talk about how at that young, young age, that's why they seek them out at a young age, because they can remember back then their previous lives. Like the, um, there's a Veritana Foundation that I study with here in Santa Barbara, and Tubal Origin is a resident lama, and he remembers uh, his in- past incarnation where he was in Pimico building a temple, and his name was Hagdan Sither. But when he said he was younger, he could remember it so much more clearly. Oh, that's something I totally want to mention. According to what I have been told, in the Hopi creation story, they talk about the access twins, the echo twins. Mm-hmm. I have been told that uh, Venuabaka took Arantashe, you know, who gave us this rock, and grandfather Garten, uh, Martin Gashrisioma are the access twins that they speak of. And if you look, like on the internet, I've written things or whatever, if you look at their faces, they look like twins. I mean, in the face. It's just mm-hmm. an amazing, amazing thing. So, now, can I tell you about that, this cool story about this cave? Yeah, sure. We've got about uh, two minutes. Okay. I'll try and tell it quickly. Um, uh, in 1909, the Smithsonian paid this man, G.E. Kincaid, to try and find this cave, mm-hmm. this rumored cave in the Grand Canyon. Apparently, he found it, um, and then apparently, sort of like in um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, the government emptied it out, and et cetera. But they always wondered, what was the story with this Buddha statue? What was that doing there? Well, the legend was there was a woman of mixed heritage that would be associated with Hopi prophecy that could explain this. So this man, Jack Andrews, was sort of 
given the, the task of continuing the work with this cave after Kincaid died. And he tracked me down and said, we believe, Kimberly, you were the woman that can explain the statue in the cave. Well, the thing is, Robert Hood, um, I have been dreaming about this cave all my life. Um, uh, I've met with Grandfather Martin in this cave. Long story short, it is, or was, a statue of the Buddha Virakana, which um, was one of the disciples of Padme Sambhava, and Bakatuka Rinpoche is the reincarnation of Virakana. Well, the most interesting thing happened this week, because on one level, hey, it's just a wacky story, you mm -hmm. know, no one can prove this, the, right. you know, there's some photos or whatever, but, you know, they could have been photoshopped. Um, I was contacted by a Zuni elder this past week, and the Zuni Hopi Pueblo are, you know, all part of the same thing, and he contacted me and he said, I have found this tablet on my land, and I don't know what it says. So I sent a photo of this rock. You've got 10 seconds. Okay. The rock says, Oh, Mani Padme Hum. He has his tablet. So in my opinion, this is the first proof we've had that um, this may be true. All right. Thanks very much for joining us, Kimberly. We have to run. Kimberly Ruff has been my guest this hour. www.thegroundcrew.com. I'll be back on the other side of the news at six and a half minutes past the hour as the Exxon continues with yours truly, Rob McConnell from our studios in beautiful Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. <laughs>